Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. And welcome to Travel Medicine. I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. This is America. You're listening to Dr. Santos, your pediatric infectious disease, badass neighborhood doctor from America. Yeah. Getting a little, getting a little summer slam in there. <laughs> yeah. I can't, I can't keep this up. That hurt my throat so bad just now. Welcome, one and sundry. Yeah, it's, it's just been the 4th of july that's um, right it's the travel medicine podcast holiday yeah. extravaganza ba, 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 ba. Yeah. <laughs> boom 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 <laughs> let me hear you say hey which i always i would have enjoyed john philip souza march being like our national anthem rather than the whole like you know the Rockets red glare and everything. Santosh, uh, what is an American so holiday fun. without rockets and exploding? <laughs> this I remember the old, you know, the Simpsons way back when we were kids as like celebrate the birth of your nation by exploding a small portion of it, which was <laughs> a poo selling illegal fireworks out of the back of the quickie mart <laughs> because the man knew how to make a buck. He did. He was an entrepreneur. Yeah, absolutely. An entre a poor. Yeah, we're, uh, yes, there have been explosions which have passed and, uh, you know, not only uh, celebrated our patriotism, but caused multiple injuries and scared our pets. All sorts of things. (laughs) Now, I know what you're thinking. On a holiday extravaganza post-4th of July, we are obviously going to talk about drunken injuries, right? The most most common kinds of injuries on the 4th of July are usually due to alcohol, fireworks, surprisingly not tobacco. 
at least not short term. Really? Oh, okay. I would have thought someone was going to light, you know, an M80 well, with a cigarette. <laughs> well, indirectly, I can't Oh, yeah, speak. sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. And no, although, is- although inhaling fireworks smoke, if you are close to it, close for a given level of close, yeah. uh, can exacerbate respiratory diseases such as asthma, COPD, sinus infections, and allergies because there are several toxic chemicals in firework smoke used to make all the pretty colors. Yeah, yeah. You oftentimes need uh, metals or metallic alloys that are going to burn pretty iridescent colors in order to produce purples and golds and greens and all the other stuff that you get. Those are just chemical reactions uh, that uh, show us different colors of the rainbow when different uh, substances hit their ignition point. That's really all it is. However, uh, inhaling smoldering, you know, tungsten, things like this is not generally a good idea, you know? Smoldering tungsten's a good Tinder nickname. (laughs) Hey, baby, I'm smoldering tungsten. So before we dive into our holiday explosive extravaganza, yeah, let's take a brief moment to thank all of you who have signed up so far for the mailing list, so you can find out when we're going to be coming to a town near you, which may Ooh. be soon, may not. Yeah. We're only two people. We can only go <laughs> so many places at one time. Um, <laughs> but if you would like to find out more about these events, and if you would like to help uh, contribute to what we do episodes on, or come on the show and be a guest, or any number of things, sign up at TravelMedicinePodcast.com. It's so easy. Yeah. And... It's- you even get a free Around the World in 80 Plagues book. Yeah, it's it's our way of saying thank you. Uh, we won't give away too much about it, but there are sausages involved. Deadly sausages. <laughs> Which Who brings wants us... our sausage book? Sorry, moving on. <laughs> Which brings us to the next thing that we're going to make dangerous this week, patriotism, but not in like a controversial political way no we're gonna talk about controversial well not so controversial uh medical patriotism specifically two diseases that are known as patriots disease unofficial yeah (laughs) there well i learned about one of these uh through my you know internet burrowing and everything like that Josh, I think this was one of the few times I actually got to spring a new fact on you. And you definitely, as you as you usually do, took it much further <laughs> than than I did in terms of delving. And you found out even cooler nooks and crannies of this particular disease entity, which we'll be talking about shortly. But the other one I was familiar with, I just didn't kind of associate it with United States patriotism until you told me about it. My yeah. job, described badly, is digging into nooks and crannies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It started in medical school. <laughs> Historical, narrative, anatomical. If there is yeah. a nook or a cranny, oh boy, oh boy, <laughs> am I digging into it. So without burying the lead, let's yeah. talk about one of our first diseases. I'm going to set the stage and then hand it off to you. For those of you following along not from the U.S., we celebrate our independence from Britain on July 4th. Uh, it's it's a bit premature. <laughs> it's We're one of the few people 
We celebrate when we signed our Declaration of Independence when nobody in the world at that time recognized us as an independent nation, <laughs> except for us. We haven't even we hadn't even fought the war yet, and that that's that was the day we celebrated. So let's set the scene: July third, seventeen seventy six. Yeah, the day before the adoption of the Declaration of Independence by the Continental Congress. Yep. John Adams writes to his wife that the nation's newfound independence should be commemorated with pomp and parade, with guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations. And Americans, even back then, gleefully followed these recommendations with an annual bounty of fireworks and gunshots, a tradition we have proudly carried on to this day. <laughs> yeah. But by the beginning of the 20th century, our love of colorful explosions and loud bangs uh, brought with it something a little bit extra, a deadly infection that became yeah. known as Patriot's disease. Santosh, what is Patriot's disease? Yeah, so I want you to imagine, Josh, back in the day that there were zero safety precautions around you know, firing, you know, fireworks up in the air. Unlike today, when we have not only stringent rules around firing off large munitions, but also a, a, a social atmosphere that promotes safety and kindness towards your neighbors and neighbors' pets. <laughs> You don't no. live in the Midwest. It's yeah. very easy to tell you no longer live in the Midwest. Yeah, yeah. I'm out. <laughs> so yeah, uh, much like today, no safety, no regulations that are that are you know actually taken to heart. And a person goes and they light a firework or what John Adams referred to as an illumination. And this thing is not as well packaged as it is in modern times. And it basically fires everywhere. You have a rocket that's going to go up and explode into a fire flower at the, you know, apex of its flight. But there's also, you know, shrapnel that's let off at the ground level, you know, towards the person who lit it if they haven't run away or stood behind something. And now these little pieces of pium, 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 they're ricocheting off of the dirt and the soil on the ground, Josh, and then foom, fly right into skin, hands, legs, you know, chest, if you're not covering up your chest properly with a shirt, etc. And you end up with these little wounds, you know, all over your body. Um, you know, of course, little kids who are not told to stand back, you know, they're uh, also at, at great risk for this. <laughs> little children and, with little explosives. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> These are not sparklers, by the way. These are, they'll light a damn cannon. And yeah, we you're going along like this. Oh, yo, got, I got a little bit of wounds, like a cuts and scrapes like this. Why not? We all get that. No problem. And then Josh, about five, 12 days later, you get a little bit of a fever, and then w around the wound, right, around given wounds and that kind of a thing, the muscles start to twitch and then tighten and then actually lock up. Uh, and in fact, if you have any of these around your face or anything like that, or eventually, the nerves that are supplying your jaw will lock up and you will get lock jaw. Patriotic lockjaw. So Patriot patriotic 
that you can no longer move your mouth enough to open to say the ah, and you are therefore forced to just say, go America. (laughs) Which is where that came from. Uh, Yes, over 200 years ago. (laughs) Exactly. That's, That's our story and we're sticking to it. Absolutely. So what I am describing is the inoculation of a anaerobic spore former clostridium tetani being inoculated into a wound and then it releases its deadly deadly toxin which causes your muscles it, well it, it fires off into the nerves but then causes your muscles to seize up and become absolutely locked up in, in your jaw it's called locked jaw but because clostridium tetani we have tetanus and this is what we call as a patriotic tetanus or fourth of july tetanus and josh the reason it was given this name is this was an annual tradition (laughs) those of you listening at home may not believe because we do like to get a little uh hyperbolic yeah yeah, on, on occasion the july 4th infection rate was so well known that the American Medical Association was tracking patriotic tetanus in an annual report as far back as 1903, <laughs> when yeah. when 406 fatal cases. I want to emphasize 406 fatal. We're not talking about the others, just the ones that killed people. Were that reported. killed people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, now to be fair, the AMA stressed that. All penetrating wounds from fireworks and blank cartridges are potential cases of tetanus. And as we continue through this seven-year study, from 1903 through 1909, patriotic tetanus was responsible for almost two-thirds of 1,500 July 4th explosives-related deaths. (laughs) Yeah, it was absolutely crazy. And it was a lot more, Josh, at, at some point. So in 1908, we reached a peak of close to 5,500 total casualties from fireworks. So that, now, you know, let's put that, this in, we're going to yeah, put that, this in that perspective. That was when we cut down on fatalities. <laughs> now let's put this in perspective. If you are releasing a report on how many injuries there are from 4th of July every year. And honestly, Santosh, I'm so proud that we've managed to tie almost every single holiday to its own unique disease. (laughs) This was one of the last holdouts. Uh, Yeah, yeah. But there, of course, were those crying for reform saying, fireworks, won't someone think of the children? And they appealed to their patriotic sentiment, comparing the number of deaths each year from the 4th of July to the number of deaths from the Revolutionary War. And in a couple of their cherry-picked charts, it's made pretty clear that the 4th of July was deadlier than the actual American Revolution. And <laughs> I wanted I wanted confirmation on that. So yeah. 1908, just all fireworks-related deaths were 5,500 people. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So during the Revolutionary War, the entirety roughly 25,000 American patriots died during active military service. Okay. Of these, approximately 6,800 were killed in battle, while okay. 17,000 are confirmed to have died from disease, mostly while prisoners of war. Okay, got it, got it. Okay, so 
Yeah, so we just about, a little bit shy on the fireworks. We were so, pretty damn so close. So fireworks almost killed as many people as died in battle. Yeah. Not as much of an exaggeration as you may have thought. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was bedlam. It was absolutely insane. And the interesting thing, Josh, is as the American Medical Association started tracking these, and then the lay press, such as the Chicago Tribune, where tetanus was endemic at the time, as they started to pick this up, um, the interesting thing that happened is that we started getting lower and lower on fireworks deaths in total. Uh, But the problem was we didn't have excellent treatments for tetanus, uh, we, we didn't have prophylaxis yet. We didn't have the, the vaccine. So the proportion of deaths from tetanus actually started to rise because they, they took up more and more of the, the fatal causes after being, you know, around or hit by shrapnel of fireworks and that kind of a thing. Um, whereas like the actual wounds from fireworks overall, just, you know, those, the, those fatalities went down from 5,800 down to 1,500. So those of you who complain, you know, why do they do these city fireworks displays behind all these ropes and yep. with all these extra safety? It's because the Medical Association had to track July 4th injuries specifically. <laughs> now Absolutely. tetanus or clostridium tetany mm-hmm. is as we've spoken about in in our 80 plagues episodes a spore former and spores like to hang out in the dirt they're like special little time capsules that are buried yeah. in the dirt <laughs> for surprise infections later yeah and when fireworks explode on the ground you know such as when you're lighting a fuse stepping back and waiting to go uh yep Um, (laughs) the shrapnel even if it doesn't necessarily cause enough gaping wounds can just cause small tiny almost unnoticeable skin tears and if spores are on any of the shrapnel from exploding in the dirt boom you now have tetanus in your bloodstream and we get patriotic lockjaw and (laughs) the scariest thing josh is we were still in a pre-antibiotic era so we didn't have the utility of actually like killing off these clostridia uh, you know multiplying in the wound and the bloodstream and everything but the problem wasn't just the bacteria hanging around they expressed a large amount and concentration of the toxin, actually, the the tetanus toxin. And so you could potentially uh, get rid of the nidus of infection, but the the tetanus toxin would still be hanging around, disrupting your nerves, causing your muscles to seize the way that they would. And what would happen ultimately um, for a lot of these cases, if they didn't receive care, which we'll talk about in just a little bit, uh, the the care of the time was a little uh, scary, but um, if they didn't receive proper care, it was a horrible way to die. Your jaw would seize up. The rest of your muscles would seize up. If you were lucky, um, you would actually have the muscles in your diaphragm and the rest of your breathing actually seizing up. And so you just suffocate. That would be fairly quick. But if you were unlucky, um, you could have convulsions where you were just shaking and gasping, but it didn't affect your brain. 
So you weren't out. You were actually experiencing this very painful, you know, lockup this whole time until, you know, again, you weren't able to breathe or you were starving to death potentially because you couldn't eat anything. It's horrific, Josh. And every time there's any kind of sound or bright light or anything like that, that would actually set off your sensory system and you'd seize again. You weren't kept in a dark, quiet room. Now, the slockjaw would be so severe that one of the ways they would have to avoid starvation is by literally knocking people's teeth in. Yeah, so you could get enough room to get like a feeding tube down the esophagus, yeah. Because otherwise your teeth would just be clenched and you couldn't get a, couldn't get a tube down there. What's changed in treatment from then till now? Well, the wonderful thing that came around was antitoxin. And we actually, I think, Josh, on our tetanus episode at some point, we actually talked about the development of the antitoxin or anything. But essentially, what these were, were people who survived tetanus, uh, you could actually take their blood and get their serum, their, their antibodies. And these would contain antibodies that would bind up the toxin molecule so that the toxin couldn't bind to the receptors on your muscles and in, on your nerves and actually shut things down. By around 1900, if you were able to get rid of that dirt and the shrapnel and everything like that, and there was a remaining tetanus toxin circulating around in your bloodstreams and on your nerves, you could give injections of the antitoxin and you, you'd still have to care for the person as they convalesced from the illness, but they could live. Let us emphasize spores do still live in the dirt. Fireworks do still send shrapnel and spores into the air, even if you are standing at a safe distance. Uh-huh. And so please make sure to get a tetanus shot. How often, Santosh? Well, you want to get your primary pediatric series, uh, you know, uh, around, you know, when you're getting your four-month shots and your six-month shots and all those kind of things. But then as we are grown-ups, our immunity to that tetanus shot does go away over time. And so we need to get a booster about once every 10 years. And here in the United States, actually, Josh, we combine the tetanus toxin uh vaccine along with the diphtheria and pertussis vaccines also because whooping cough is still endemic here in the United States. So we give TDAP or tetanus diphtheria and acellular pertussis, the Tdap vaccine once every 10 years. And so we actually encourage moms to get their Tdap if they haven't gotten their shot to get their Tdap while they're pregnant. So they make antibodies and pass it on to their babies. As you likely suspected, firework injuries are predominantly male. How do we know this? <laughs> remember, <laughs> remember how the AMA used to release a yearly study? Yeah. <laughs> Hasn't actually stopped doing that. Uh, although I, I pulled from the National Institute of Health, the Journal of Injury and Epidemiology, yeah, They did some epidemiology on firework-related injuries from 2012 to 2022. And okay. this, is, this is pretty reflective of what has been seen consistently every year. So okay. in this particular study, a total of 3,200 injuries representing an estimated 122,000 firework-related injuries 
were treated uh-huh. in emergency departments. So that's what they're extrapolating. Okay. Um, the overall incidence has been going up. Now, the rate of injuries was highest in adolescents and young adults. Yeah. Uh-huh. And men experienced firework injuries at over double. And so <laughs> 4.9 to 5.2 cases yeah. for men versus 1.8 to 2.2 cases in women per 100,000 people. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> the <laughs> most common areas to be injured are the upper extremities at 41 percent so hands and arms right where you're holding the fireworks the head and neck at 36 percent oh i wonder why this didn't light let me just you know put it into my face and see (laughs) yeah and lower extremities only 13 percent which i'm hoping are not people lighting fireworks out of their uh no butts. no i i'm i'm assuming those are the ones where they actually put the firework on the ground but maybe didn't walk away far enough or they did something idiotic like you know they tried to drop the thing and run away and so they you know the shrapnel goes into their legs and buttocks I, i'm not gonna discount the possibility that some drunk or maybe sober so-and-so decided to <laughs> well so I've, now that we've now that we've talked about patriotic lockjaw which almost certainly was if not predominantly then heavily male related i feel like it's only fair that we flip our coin and take a look at a female patriotic disease oh, so okay. what's a disease that may make uh more women than men red white and subsequently blue they're flushing Right. Or, or actually, yeah, they're flushing and then white would be like a, a loss of circulation and blue would be like getting cyanotic or something like that. Um, is this it's, it's something like drowning or uh, infections in general affect men more than women, just as a, as a general rule? There's a few exceptions like uh, pertussis, but there uh, there are situations that affect women more than men so uh red white and blue are you talking about something like you know like if you want to find out join <laughs> us after these messages and you can use the time to sign up at travelmedicinepodcast.com <laughs> for a free 80 plagues book where we do talk about things like we're about to reveal when we come back Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And we're back. <laughs> I'm going to have to listen to where you edited that and like if it cut in like <laughs> in the middle of your long and. <laughs> so Santosh, 
Did you manage to figure out the female patriotic disease? I, I, I'll take a guess because women are more prone to getting rheumatoid conditions or autoimmune conditions. One of the things that we always think about, even in pediatric autoimmune conditions, is when, and it can actually happen in conjunction with several different ones. It can happen independent of autoimmune conditions. But there is there is a situation where, especially in the extremities, you can have a sudden, like, you know, spasming of your blood vessels. So you turn, I think it actually goes white, blue, and then red as it reperfuses. Uh, and that's a phenomenon called Raynaud's phenomenon or Raynaud's syndrome. Yeah, and it's Raynaud's is characterized by extremely specific areas of cold and stress-induced spasms of capillaries, which are very, very small blood vessels in our fingertips, in our nose tip. If your body part has a tip, that's where capillaries will be found. <laughs> Yeah, it's it, they're the end blood vessels where our you know when our nutrients get to that point, then they can diffuse, especially oxygen. They can diffuse into the tissues and and deliver. And it's where you know you have, you kind of have a, a kind of a turnaround where the arteries end in the capillaries, and then the capillaries start to feed our veins, which return the blood back to our heart. Now, normally in a cold environment, the body will shift blood away from the extremities and toward the core in order to prevent heat loss. Uh, now we're talking about obviously cold environments, which is less likely for 4th of July, unless you're one of our listeners down in Australia, of which we have way more <laughs> than I expected. So thanks, you guys. You're all right. Thanks, no flies Australia. On, no flies on you. Uh, <laughs> but in a for some unknown reason, about 3 to 5% of people, usually more women than men, with Raynaud's have systems that overreact, not just shifting blood toward the core, but causing a near complete or total shutdown of the most distal peripheral aspects of the vascular system. Yeah, so the, all, all that means is the, the places that are furthest away from your heart. So the supply areas of the body that have little to no hair bypass the capillaries, those areas will then begin to feel numb and there's a very clear line between the affected and unaffected areas. Yeah, it's it's the scariest thing in the world for a person to see who's never seen it before. You can almost draw like a a a, a cutoff line like a, you know, with a with a pencil and say, "Oh, the the syndrome or the phenomenon ends right here." <laughs> that one. It's it's kind of creepy how well demarcated it is because, you know, peripheral vasculature, the the capillaries, they don't they don't end like that, like in a in a straight line. So when it's extreme, Josh. So if a person has very fair skin and you see that, it can almost look like you know you've put like those scary like LEDs on the end of your fingers. Um, it's it's dramatic. And that's because the affected areas, as you noted, Santosh, will usually turn white first because the very small capillaries inside them collapse and blood can't get through. So you're getting a lack of blood that makes you go white. Now, because the blood is what carries oxygen, you start losing oxygen in those uh, in those same areas, which then turn blue. And that's one of the things we, we look for, even when it's not Raynaud's, is we look for blue tips and lips 
indicate low oxygen. Yeah, and that's all it is is the the oxygen content of the blood and uh, and in the tissue is dropping. And so you're actually seeing the chemical reaction of the decreased concentration of oxygen in that area. Uh, yeah, it, it, it can look a, a little scary. Um, some people, so if we have darker skin, it'll be described as gray or dusky as well, um, just to you know, kind of give a, a little bit of a differentiator. It's not always dramatically blue. Once you have gotten somewhere inside or warmed those vessels and opened them up, either with temperature or medication changes, dilating the vessels, uh, blood flow will return to the area, restoring that red-blooded patriotism. Now... <laughs> Yeah. And that rebound is an excess amount of blood going in there. So you flush or blush in those areas. There's two forms of Raynaud's. Primary, which is the one that is most often diagnosed and has no known source. Then secondary, which is when it is accompanying another illness. And that tends to be the ones you mentioned earlier, Santosh, connective tissue diseases such as rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, there are times when you see Raynaud's phenomenon in a person and you actually work the person up. You, you go through a differential diagnosis of do they have a, a secondary Raynaud's phenomenon? Um, and that does depend on whether the person has other symptoms which are compatible with those other diseases. But by and large, Josh, we, we actually see quite a few more primary cases where a person just has isolated Raynaud's phenomenon. Now, primary Raynaud's is uncomfortable, but it's not dangerous. You do not die from primary Raynaud's. Secondary, however, the one that's associated with mixed connective tissue diseases is usually more severe, tends to start after age 30, and because of the extensive degree of shunting, if it goes on long enough and blood flow is chronically shunted away from an area, it can cause gangrene, uh, which then leads to a need to amputate fingers and toes. And that's one of the scary morbidities of that particular autoimmune disease. So that's, that's our male and female patriotic diseases. I am going to talk about one last condition that I think is important to mention. Santosh, I don't know if you've noticed this, but summer in the Northern Hemisphere around July, yeah. it's quite hot. Uh -huh. There was one day, in, actually it might have been July 3rd, that was the hottest July 3rd ever on record in 2023. We do have ozone now, which was a big concern for those of us growing up in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, thanks to the efforts of a lot of people, by the way, working hard to restore the ozone layer. Word brought to you from our dermatologists, wear sunscreen, because I am white. If I spend more than 10 seconds out on a hot day in the sun, I'll turn red. And if you all suffer from our next condition, you're going to make both Santosh and I blue. <laughs> so let's talk about heat stroke. There are yes. five different stages of heat-related illness. Several of them are universal human experiences. Heat rash, yeah. just uh -huh. when you're out, it will look like just, you know, little clusters of small blisters. They can look like pimples, usually on the neck chest, uh, groin, or in body folds and creases. 
Yeah, it, it's where after you get hot and sweat and everything, it's where uh, moisture <laughs> gets trapped and the skin gets irritated by not just the heat, but actually it, you, you can't lose heat from those areas because everything is trapped. So it's kind of gross, but the skin gets a little bit slow cooked like sous vide. <laughs> so treatment for that, just stay in a cool, dry place. And if it's wet, keep it dry. You can use yeah. baby powders, talcum powder, you know. So actually, this is one of those that you don't want to use an ointment or a cream on. Next, sunburn. Painful, Yay. red and warm <laughs> skin can form blisters. There are second and even third degree sunburns. But mm-hmm. usually this is something we're all aware of. Wear your sunscreen. Wear... Mm-hmm cool cloths on sunburned areas or take a bath in tea go ahead and teabag yourself the tannic acid does in fact help <laughs> yeah yeah that's it, it actually can, not tea tree oil that stuff is disgusting but the the actual just you know you actually steep some tea in your bath <laughs> uh, put moisture this is one where you do want to use lotion on the sunburned areas but do not no matter what you've seen on Dr. Pimple Popper, do not break blisters. Yes, yeah. Those are areas underneath that blister where you do not have an intact epidermis. So the barrier against outside of infection is really, really weak. And so if you break open that blister and you have exposed skin and that area gets contaminated, um, even sometimes just with like water, you can get a secondary bacterial infection and it can be bad. Especially as most of those blisters tend to form on things like feet, which yeah. are walking <laughs> around close to that spore-laden firework ground <laughs> if you're in sandals or in you know socks where you don't want sock fibers and all the nasty stuff that your feet are picking there, up getting yeah. in your skin. Not to mention underneath there, that skin is very raw and sensitive, so it's going to hurt like the dickens. So yeah, do let that blister, you know, kind of, it's going to be gross, but the, the fluid will ooze out and that dead epidermal layer on the skin will wrinkle up and protect the layer underneath while it heals. So <laughs> you just keep that, you know, that wrinkly blister skin on top. <laughs> Now, moving on up our heat-related illnesses chart, we mm. start getting into the more athletic ones. The, the sunburn and heat rash are more sedentary problems. Yeah, that's that's we sit around and get those. Yeah, exactly. But once you're maybe playing a game of basketball or going for a jog or yeah. something, you get heat Or if cramps. you decide to go like uh, uh, Top Gun. Like volleyball style. You'll, you'll start noticing heavy, heavy sweating during intense exercise accompanied by muscle pain or spasms. Now, the easy thing is stop the physical activity, move mm-hmm. to a cool place, have some water or a sports drink, and wait for the cramps to go away. This is truthfully what most people probably are thinking of when it's the don't eat for half an hour before going into the pool. Yeah. Not so much because <laughs> of the digestion, but because you don't want to get heat, like when are people swimming when it's when super it's hot. hot outside? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now, if you notice that the cramps are lasting longer than an hour, or if you're on a low sodium diet and you're, you've already been trying to regulate your sodium, 
you want to get medical help sooner rather than later because in fact josh they might enter the um the danger zone and you don't want to take a ride into the danger zone you do not yeah we move all the (laughs) way from cramps into heat exhaustion now this is when we really start getting into the danger zone (laughs) uh, with heavy sweating your skin Mm -hmm. will be clammy cold and pale even though you may feel very hot your pulse can start to become weak and thready um like difficult to detect although present and you can get nausea vomiting and dizziness you may even start seeing signs of vision darkening or completely passing out yeah and we're we are kind of we're going in between right here heat exhaustion and heat stroke at this point but Earlier on, it's going to you're you're going to feel crappy. It's almost like you're going to feel like you have the flu in the middle of summer. Um, oddly enough, what's going to happen is that yeah, your your peripheral vasculature will actually shut down, and your skin will actually become cool, which is it's actually really really bad. That means you're no longer radiating heat out. You know, you'll actually be able to tell if you're on the outside looking in, like if you're seeing a friend with heat exhaustion, because they'll start to act a little odd, especially very irritable. And the their body signals are going to recognize that like, say something's wrong, and they'll become excessively thirsty if they're able to. If they're already down the road of heat exhaustion where it's getting severe, they may not be able to get to that point because the nausea might overtake them. And even though it's a maladaptive response, because you're losing even more fluids, they might get nauseous enough to throw up. And now you're actually in a scary spot because uh, you're trying to get this person to take in water. But not only will they be nauseated and they won't be able to take water, but if they are paradoxically extra super thirsty as well, they'll try to gulp the water and their stomach will spasm and they'll vomit it right back out along with excess fluid on top of that. This so, is what you start seeing in more of like longer distance athletes, marathon runners, bikers, yes. um, yeah. people who are doing these long, I, I wanted to say chronic workouts, but chronic working out makes it sound like pathology. Uh, yeah, yeah. People who are, <laughs> People who are doing long-lasting regular, workouts. yeah, yeah, exactly. If they're they're ultra marathoners, yeah, the the it, it isn't a form of like extreme sports, but yes, I suffer I, from yeah. chronic workouts. It's, yeah, <laughs> I had an acute gym attack. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. When you're in heat exhaustion, you can still give somebody water. They just have to take small sips right. and slowly. And sports drinks yeah. are okay too. Uh, Along with putting cool, wet cloths on the body, even if they are feeling colds themselves, you want to allow them uh, to cool down. So even if they're sitting there shivering, give them some wet towels. Yeah. It's going to, it's going to look weird, but they are, they're headed towards some of our next scarier pathologies. So you do need to get them cool as soon as possible. The sips of water are going to cool from the inside out, the cold towels and that kind of a thing are going to cool them from the outside in and protect them from the sun. Now it can be difficult to tell the difference between heat stroke and heat exhaustion because they are on a bit of a spectrum, but one of the biggest signs or the two biggest signs 
a consistently high body temperature, 103 or higher, you may not be carrying around a thermometer with you. It's actually not a bad idea during the summer to just keep a thermometer handy in your travel medical kit. Yep. Yeah, first aid kits are always good to have around. As well as if you start noticing confusion, that's a huge red flag. Um, Yeah, and we're not talking about mild confusion in this case, folks. This is, you know, where am I? What am I doing? Or even they become incoherent, unable to talk, uh, slurring, like looking like they're really, really drunk. So all of this, you know, this is these are warning signs. Or beyond warning, if you start seeing confusion, like you don't know who you are, where you are, what year it is, call 911 right away. Heat stroke is a medical emergency. And importantly, if you're seeing confusion, do not try and give somebody with heat stroke anything to drink. They may be confused enough that they are at risk then for aspirating, swallowing something where it goes down into their lungs rather than esophagus and stomach. And they could start choking. They could have potential infections. So while you do want to give drinks to somebody with heat exhaustion, You do not want to give someone with heat stroke. We're now in the area where they need paramedics and they need real, like, skilled medical attention. So you can get them to try and cool down. So this this person is, uh, you know, they're going to start to be and and getting into confusion. What you're seeing from the outside and what's actually happening on the inside is the regulatory systems to keep blood flowing to vital organs, such as the heart, lungs, and the brain, no longer work because the heat has kind of overwhelmed the system. So the blood supply to the brain is now low. The blood supply to the heart and the lungs are actually low. Josh, this is actually much like a state of septic shock that you get when you have bacteria in the bloodstream. It's it's very, very analogous. So they do need emergent, like skilled medical attention, like actual IVs and things like this. But if you can get them to a cool, shaded place, even ice bath, wet the skin, these are things that you can do as long as they're not confused and combative, which actually just can happen. And confused and combative, again, puts us into heat stroke. Now, if you do end up getting to the hospital, the good news is with proper treatment, Recovering from heat exhaustion or heat stroke usually only takes about 24 to 48 hours. So we're not looking at a long hospital stay with yeah. us, but it is a required hospital stay. This is not something you could just shrug off at home if you have reached that level. And again, I want to emphasize the confusion is the most dangerous, although heat exhaustion is nothing to be sneezed at. Absolutely. Yeah. Heat exhaustion, that type of recovery, the person's going to feel crappy and cramped and and hurting. They may even have, Josh, rhabdomyolysis, which is a breakdown of the muscle tissue where the, the, the muscles aren't just cramped. They actually have died. Um, and this can accompany heat stroke, especially if the person was doing intense activities, There has been some period of time where blood supply to an organ uh, has not been sufficient, and the blood supply has been limited for long enough that you actually 
you know, the, the tissue actually dies. So in the case of the brain, you know, having a stroke, in the case of the heart, heart attack, in the case of peripheral, uh, you know, arms and legs and that kind of a thing, stuff like gangrene. There you go. It's your holiday explosive extravaganza. <laughs> Wait, can I leave them with a poem about tetanus? So this was a long ago Chicago newspaper. They celebrated a ban on cannons and rockets when the American Medical Association had put together all the data and said, okay, we are banning these things. And they said, nicks on the lockjaw, nicks on the maim, loud noise explosives are out of the game. Fourth of July scares have all been excused. You'll just have to yell if you're over-enthused. <laughs> yeah and so that was actually uh from uh you know the time it, it, in a chicago newspaper when they said okay we are finally banning this stuff we don't want people to get tetanus anymore and they celebrated that with a poem 1914 that's it for this week as always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. You can find links to support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially in the show notes, along with links for further reading. You can sign up for our mailing list at travelmedicinepodcast.com, and you'll even get a free 80 Plagues book for signing up, of which there are more potentially forthcoming. This show is produced by me with a lot of help from Dr. Santosh and friends. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure and Santosh. It's July, which yeah. means our annual comic <gasps> book oh medicine. Oh my God, I almost forgot. Oh, So yes. uh, I hope you all enjoyed celebrating America's birthday, but we have to get ready for comic book medicine. So we'll see you soon. And until next time, as always, keep a song in your heart, soap on your hands, a shot in your arm, but no shrapnel in your body. No shrapnel <laughs> yeah. or spores in your body. Yeah. Practice safe fireworks. And until next time, as always, happy travels. America! Heck yeah! <laughs> deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.